Colleagues, uh, my name is Anthony McKay. I am the President and CEO of the National Centre on Education and the Economy, and I want to welcome you to the third in a series of Global Ed Talks. And today, I am delighted to be joined by Maureen McLaughlin. Maureen is the Senior Advisor to the Secretary of Education and also the Director of International Affairs at the Department uh, of Education. Maureen, welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. And it is perhaps the capacity as Director of International Affairs at the US Department of Education which brings us together. Uh, you have recently released what might be seen as a refreshed international strategy for the department. Uh, just remind us, you released the first strategy in what year? In 2012. And if you think about the time that's elapsed between 2012 and 2019, just give us the sense of how you've now captured the key objectives of an international strategy which has at its core a desire to ensure that we are succeeding globally through international education and through international engagement. But if you had to try and just capture the essential objectives, they would be? So the two overarching goals are to strengthen US education and advance US international priorities. And the strategy, both when it was initially created and in the updated strategy, has three key objectives. Right. One is to ensure that all US uh, students and, and older individuals as well are globally and culturally competent. Second is to learn from and with other countries about what they're doing in education that can help us to strengthen the US education. And the third is education diplomacy, sort of how do we engage with the world. And those objectives uh, were what underlay the original uh, strategy created in 2012. And they're the same objectives that we have in the updated strategy. So it's really a continuation of the framework and the priorities, but with specific activities being different as time goes on. And that's really where you'll see differences in terms of the actual specific activities. So uh, just before we get into each of those objectives, um, and I think I want to, well, I want to, not I don't think, I want to acknowledge your leadership of this work because to produce an international strategy for the department, the federal level, is actually a serious achievement. It, it means that it's on the agenda. Now, I take it it hasn't been the easiest of strategies to develop because there's a lot of people that would want to have a, some kind of contribution to this, yeah? Just give us a bit of a sense of uh, the complexity of pulling this together. Well, when we did the initial strategy, yeah. we held extensive uh, discussions and meetings within the Department of Education with all offices that had anything to do with an international or global perspective. And that's right. actually almost all offices are engaged. We had extensive discussions with our partners in other parts of government, the State Department, the USAID, Commerce, Labor Departments. And then we had extensive conversations with multilateral organizations um, and with other stakeholders here in the U.S. So we met with um, people representing universities, people representing state superintendents, all kinds of, of interest groups and stakeholder groups to get as many perspectives as possible to create the initial strategy. Yeah. And it is the first international strategy that the department has, has had adopted. And again, it was adopted in 2012. Yeah. But we, we really had extensive um, both engagement and, and listening and thinking to hone it down to the objectives I just described 
And they probably sound pretty easy and they probably sound pretty straightforward, but it took us a long time to get there. Now, those who are, I think, um, engaged in this conversation with us know that from their respective jurisdictions or respective states, districts and schools, this is not easy work because in many ways that strategy is, to some extent, uh, replicated at different levels within systems and different jurisdictions have different approaches to this. So this is actually quite a significant achievement. Let me take you to the the first objective and this is where we really do want all young people to be graduating and actually continue to learn in ways that mean that we can feel that we have lifted the level of global competence, cultural competence, so that they are able to operate not just in a survival mode but to thrive within their respective communities and within their respective jurisdictions. So is this now an argument that's been won? So the why we need this is now something that we can say, fine, let's move on. I would say that in terms of the discussions we're having and the emphasis of our strategy, we believe that for people to be globally and culturally competent, to understand other parts of the world, to understand other points of view, to be able to um, look at those and to think about them and to be able to act and live and work and play in, yeah. in contexts where you are engaging with people who are from different backgrounds than you, from different parts of the world than you, that's essential. And it is very much reflected in the strategy. There may be other people who, who don't agree with it or haven't yet fully understood why, but we really see we're operating in a hyper-interconnected world. We've looked at lots of the statistics and, and talked to people about what people are looking for when they're hiring people for jobs. And they're looking for people who have language skills. They're looking for people who understand and can operate in different kinds of contexts and in different cultural settings. So we really see that from a, a point of view of people getting jobs, point of view of an educated, uh, active populace, uh, from the point of view of the economic competitiveness of our country, from the national security and diplomacy aspects, yeah. from interrelating, you know, being able to relate with your peers around the world, there is no question, but global competence is absolutely an essential piece of that. So if the why is compelling, uh, the what is a question. In the strategy, you identify a framework. And I know that in fact, we've had many conversations in this country and elsewhere about what would be the most powerful framework. I mean, CCSSO, Asia Society, I know you drew upon that work. OECD will come back to the work that now is taking place internationally through the measurement of, or at least the attempt to measure, global competence. But what ultimately influenced you about the kind of framework that you required? And can you give us kind of just headlines? So initially, we, we used the Asia Society uh, Chief State School, Council of Chief State School Officers framework. Right. But then over time, we really wanted to delve in more deeply and create a framework that reflected the fact that these kinds of competencies and skills are something that you don't just start learning in high school or in yeah. college, but you really start learning earlier. So we developed a framework that started with early learning. So it started with children before they even come into school and said, what is it that it would being globally competent would mean when you're that age? And moved through K to 12, moved into uh, vocational technical, into college and into the world of work. And then said, this is what it would mean ultimately to be a globally and culturally competent person. And this is kind of how you would progress along the spectrum as you develop it from a young age and into the world of work. When we did it, we really stressed that Global competence isn't something you add on as an extra course or something you do on the side. It's something that's melded into what you're learning. It's melded into the books you're reading. It's melded into the, the kind of 
um, projects that you're doing. And it really is an essential piece of equity, of excellence and economic competitiveness. It's not an add-on. It's not for some students only. It's for everybody. So in that sense, therefore, the framework gives expression to the beyond an, a narrow form of what we might see as being excellent outcomes for young people. I mean, there's no question about the knowledge and the skills and the dispositions that all young people need to have. But unless we're graduating with global competence, I think the argument would be we will not be adequate to the challenges that you've talked about, both the challenges of, of everything from civic life to economic participation yeah, to uh, harmonious social communities. Yeah, is that, that, that's the argument? Yes. Okay, so let me take you to the second objective of your international strategy which is close to the heart of all of us at the National Centre on Education and the Economy. I mean, we are in the business of learning with and through others in order, in your language and our language, to strengthen the US education system. So if you had to try and capture what are the ways in which you are doing that, how is that objective then, in a sense, given expression? What are the dimensions of that work? We've got our own views about that. What about from the point of view of the Department of Education's international strategy. So it's an, it, the learning from and with other education, other countries, is incredibly important. Right. And the first step is benchmarking. So the first step is to say, how does the US look compared to other countries? Um, what are our students learning compared to other countries? What percentage of our students are completing high school? What percentage of our students are going on to college? How are they succeeding in getting jobs when they, when they leave uh, you know, school? That benchmarking, that first piece of benchmarking is incredibly important. And we do that through PISA, which is the sort of most well-known international assessment of 15-year-olds. We do it through TALIS, which looks at teachers. We do it through a variety of other assessments. That's incredibly important to and understand. And we've got, by the way, that's important. And this year, midway through the year, the next round of TALIS? Yes. So, and end so, of the year, the next PISA results? Yes, yeah? yes. So those will be coming out the next round, as you said, will be yeah. coming out this year. And the question really is you, you see where you stand um, in this benchmarking, but the real issue is delving more deeply behind that, understanding why. What is it that is happening that can help us to, to improve what we're doing here in this country? Again, at the state level, at the district level, um, at, at the classroom level, that benchmarking is the first step, but it's, not, it's, it's necessary but not sufficient. Yeah. Okay, so, by the way, um, this is a promo for the, our own work here at NCE. Mark Tucker's latest book is Leading uh, High-Performing Education Systems through, obviously, the lessons of the high-performing systems across the globe. So, in that sense, we are absolutely pursuing the same issues here. But it goes beyond, I take it, benchmarking and the way in which then we can capture that knowledge, which ultimately has to be translated and adapted to the system here, to each system, because they differ. But your engagement goes beyond benchmarking when it actually comes to the work around learning with, through others. So for us, the policy implications are incredibly important, you know, because you really need to say what's happening and how do you translate that into what's happening here or what we would like to see happening here in this country. That's a very, very key piece. And we do that through a variety of kinds of activities. Um, recently, um, the Secretary visited Switzerland to really look at their well-respected and well-renowned system yeah. for career and technical education and apprenticeships, yep. and then um, brought, that, brought that knowledge back here um, and has, has engaged within the department with people about that. 
We've signed a, a memorandum of understanding with Switzerland that involves our Department of Labor, our Department of Commerce, our Department of Education to basically go further and do more between both of our countries to take that experience and knowledge and translate it into improved activities and improved outcomes in this country, again, on apprenticeships and career and technical education. That's one example. And um, you personally have been uh, engaged, obviously, over a period of time um, actually representing this country around the OECD table and actually at G7 and G20 gatherings. Um, what's coming up? Well, this year, um, France is, is uh, hosting and uh, the G7, mm -hmm. and they are holding an education ministerial which is focusing on teacher training and on early learning. Uh, last year, the G20, Argentina hosted, and they held the first ever uh, education ministerial in the G20 that looked very much at the intersection of education and employment, sort of how do we ensure that people have the skills needed for employment. And in that case, they had a ministerial meeting of, of education ministers, but also one of, of labor ministers and then a joint one. And that was, again, very much of a reflection of the importance of education in the economy and reducing skills gaps and how do we best educate people to be able to be successful in their lives. Let me take you back. Um, you and I met in the lead up to the first convening of the International Summit on the Teaching Profession and this was an initiative of a former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan. Um, I can recall that it wasn't the easiest of exercises to convene. We are now uh, at the ninth year of convening uh, quite a remarkable partnership. Just say a word about that because it was a US initiative and you had some pretty clear objectives of that stage. It's interesting that you say to me with the G7 you're going to be revisiting to some extent some of the issues around teacher preparation but um, a word about what your ambition was with that particular international convening. Make sure it went well. <laughs> um, Correct. It was, I mean, that was a very unusual convening, uh, or I guess it still is, but it was the first time that anybody had ever brought together ministers of education and heads of teacher unions and teachers at the same table to discuss how do you elevate and enhance the teaching profession. Yep. And it was bringing together the high-performing countries, according to PISA, to say, how do you learn with each other? It was definitely a challenge, um, again, because it had never been done before. But, uh, you know, people found it very helpful, asked us to host it again, and then it has become an international convening that other countries host. So it, it yeah. has pick, been picked up and, and been hosted each year by a different country. I think it's great that we see that as being part of an international strategy. I think it definitely is for each of the countries that host it. And that sense in which we understood the teacher quality was part of an end-to-end -end system that you needed to think carefully about all of the dimensions that will really bring to the potential right, of all of these countries, bring the potential of having high performance, uh, particularly in terms of teacher policy, but across all of the elements of the system. Let me ask you this, because this is a complex agenda. Uh, let me take you to a question about next steps. We can have this conversation, but there's going to be people listening here that are operating at uh, classroom level, uh, within their own uh, school communities. They have partnerships, obviously, with parents and communities. So in other words, thinking about global competence, cultural competence, being in a position where, in fact, you can learn with and through others is very much part of that lived experience at district level, at state level. So as you think about 
the implementation, if you like, of an international strategy at multiple levels within the system. How do we get traction? How do we get, if you like, greater depth in the work that we're going to do? Because my argument would be we are on our way with this. This is on the agenda, right? It's not coming off and there's a real chance to build momentum. How would you think about ways in which we can strengthen this agenda? So I would, personally, I would take what we're doing now and, and continue doing it and delve more deeply. And that is working with states, with districts, with classrooms. For instance, we just ran uh, a state-provincial leaders dialogue with China um, yeah. just a few months ago. And that was a chance for provincial and state leaders to come together and learn about a, a variety of issues, including career and technical education and the economy. So we'll basically continue to delve more deeply into that kind of work. We'll also continue to work with multilateral and bilateral partners. So we will work, as you mentioned, there will be the release of, of the next round of PISA, there will be the release of the next round of TALIS. We'll be taking that work and saying, what do we see there? How do we use it? And translating it into, into you know, effective policy. Um, and we'll continue to work very closely with our, our partners in, in other countries um, on the bilateral learning that we each have. So I see it as really very much going ahead and continuing to work with uh, people in the U.S. system and people in the international community and with stakeholders in this country to basically be able to continue to advance the kind of work that we've started. There's still so much more to do. Maureen, I want to thank you because um, uh, you have been a champion of this work, um, not only obviously here in the U.S., but internationally. We've had the good fortune to be able to combine forces uh, at a variety of activities and events. It strikes me that we should do that more, as you say, with the release of TELUS, with the release of PISA later the, this year, there's a real chance to build that conversation and for it to be applied at all levels across the system. So uh, we are most appreciative of your time. Thank you very much indeed. And once again, congratulations on a fantastic international strategy. Thank Maureen you. McLaughlin, thank you. Thank you.